This Daily 202 podcast is sponsored by Nokia. Nokia is helping drive 5G for America. Powered by Nokia Bell Labs, our innovations accelerate the nation's future. Learn more at nokia.com slash open to more. We're doing a listener survey to assess our whole suite of podcasts, and we'd love to get your thoughts. To share your feedback, please go to washingtonpost.com slash podcast survey, all one word. Tell us what you like, what you don't, how we can make this more useful for you. Again, that's washingtonpost.com slash podcast survey. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, July 24th. In today's news, waves of workers get laid off anew as PPP loans run out. As a federal eviction moratorium ends today, 12 million Americans are at risk of losing their homes. And America becomes less attractive as a destination for the best and brightest foreign students. But first, the big idea. President Trump has canceled the Republican National Convention celebrations scheduled for next month in Jacksonville, Florida. He has, for months, instructed his advisors to find a way to stage a loud, boisterous, and packed convention celebration. After North Carolina officials said they could not guarantee such an event in Charlotte, he moved it to Jacksonville, where there's a friendly mayor and governor who were willing to do anything Trump wanted. But the president's ambition ran headlong into a massive spike in new coronavirus infections in the Sunshine State, growing local opposition, and enormous logistical hurdles. At one point, convention planners announced they would administer daily tests to thousands of delegates, donors, and reporters to help reduce the viral risk. But the plan for coronavirus testing was scrapped, and the convention was moved from an indoor venue to an outdoor venue for safety reasons. It's hard to spend a lot of time outdoors in Jacksonville in August. Aides had argued to Trump in recent days that a more cautious approach would boost his sagging popularity. Canceling the convention, they told him, would also show he's taking the virus more seriously than he did the last several months. Some White House and campaign officials were fearful of the negative press if delegates and others were infected during the convention. Trump also came to the conclusion that he would probably need to use the National Guard to protect the convention from mass protests that were being planned and to allow for distancing in the crowd. Advisors said the president was less than enthusiastic about an arena or stadium that appeared less than full. Many GOP lawmakers had said they would not attend, so it was looking like a distinct possibility that there would be a repeat of the debacle in Tulsa. Then a Quinnipiac University poll was released yesterday that showed 62% of Florida voters opposed holding the convention in their state. The local sheriff, Mike Williams, announced this week that he does not have the resources or time to provide adequate security for the convention. And then the city council started to present yet another obstacle for Trump's plans. It's controlled by Republicans, but just minutes before Trump's announcement canceling the convention, the Republican Party of Duval County sent an email asking party members to call their council member and urge them to vote yes on allowing the convention during a vote that was scheduled for today. This is a striking reversal because Trump has repeatedly mocked Democrats as recently as like last week for signaling that they would respect public health guidance by scaling back their convention festivities. Democrats plan to hold a four-day convention in August that will be anchored in Milwaukee with simulcasts from satellite locations across the country and pre-recorded videos. 
But delegates and party officials have been urged to stay home and the in-person crowd for major speeches, including Joe Biden's acceptance of the nomination, will be very small. All of this is happening as the rate of new infections has doubled. The rapid spread of the virus this summer is striking. It took just 15 days to go from 3 million confirmed cases to 4 million. By comparison, the increase from 1 million to 2 million cases took 45 days from April 28th to June 11th, and the leap to 3 million took 27 days. The rolling seven-day average of new infections has doubled in less than a month, reaching more than 66,000 new cases per day on Wednesday. The U.S. death toll now exceeds 141,000. At his news conference last night in the White House, Trump said, quote, The country is in very good shape other than if you look south and west. That's a direct quote. Trump said, the country is in good shape other than if you look at the South and West. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Texas's Star County said yesterday that it is likely to begin sending its sickest patients home to die as cases soar in the Lone Star State. That county's hospital has 29 ICU beds, and already there are 28 critically ill patients. The county health leader blamed Texas Governor Greg Abbott for causing this problem by pushing to reopen the state too quickly at the president's behest. Another county, Hidalgo in Texas, has begun storing bodies in trucks because there's no more room in the crematoriums. In Arizona, following days of teacher-led protests, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey said public schools will no longer be required to reopen in mid-August, which he had ordered earlier in the week. America really just can't catch a break this year. The latest example, opening day for baseball in D.C. was rained out. It's relatively small compared to everything else going on, but the first game of baseball's return didn't end with a walk-off hit, a high-pressure strikeout, or any players on the field at Nationals Park. That would have been far too off-brand for 2020. Instead, on a rain-soaked night, the final pitch was thrown by Max Scherzer with one out in the sixth. The last sequence was the ace and his teammates jogging for cover beneath a violent midsummer storm. The New York Yankees led at that point four to one, and that held as the final result. It took months of labor negotiations and continuing health scares to begin an abbreviated 60-game season. So, of course, on a night that was supposed to finally feature the sport, only the actual game was washed away. The action lasted one hour and 43 minutes. The rain delay was 15 minutes longer than that. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we end another hellish week in America. Number one, the phone stopped ringing at Tommy and Scott Nelson's auto body shop in Broomfield, Colorado back in March. The normal four to six week wait for customers looking to have dents or bumps fixed on their cars disappeared, leaving the shop silent. Tammy and Scott applied in April for a loan from the Paycheck Protection Program the federal government's chaotic $660 billion aid program meant to help businesses and their workers stay afloat. But the PPP loan only delayed the inevitable. The phone didn't start ringing again amid the surging contagion. Tammy laid off her five employees at the end of June, including herself and her husband. They are among the first wave of PPP layoffs happening across the country as the loan program begins to expire. The PPP program was intended to be a short-term measure, just like the extra $600 in weekly unemployment benefits, to help get small business through the worst of this. But the pandemic outlasted 
the PPP. Layoffs are beginning to spike again across the country. The number of new unemployment claims rose last week for the first time since March. Cases are soaring, and that's causing cities and states to backtrack on reopenings. Only a month after turning the corner or appearing to, that's causing more layoffs. It's a vicious cycle. Tammy told my colleague Eli Rosenberg that the government program was, quote, just a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. All it really did, she said, quote, was prolong the agony of having our workers file for unemployment. Whether it's April 15th or June 30th, the end result was still the same. Those losing their jobs in late June and July are part of a wave of new layoffs that economists say is only going to get worse. Number two, for millions of America's renters, there's a cliff approaching. Enhanced unemployment benefits that have kept many afloat are expiring. The recession triggered by the pandemic is expected to be deeper and longer than initially forecast. And this week, in fact, at midnight tonight, a federal moratorium that had protected an estimated 12 million renters from eviction for the last four months expires. David Dworkin, the chief executive of the National Housing Conference, which has been advocating for billions in rental assistance, says this is a cliff we didn't have to go over. Of the 110 million Americans living in rental households, 20% are at risk of eviction by September 30th. African Americans and Hispanic renters are expected to be hit the hardest. Meanwhile, the White House and Senate Republicans have failed to reach agreement on a broad coronavirus legislative package to offer Democrats as part of negotiations. Stumbling over numerous provisions as factions within the GOP bicker over the best path forward. The continued impasse will push them right up against the deadline for expiring unemployment benefits at the end of next week. Sensing the potential economic calamity of pulling back these benefits for up to 30 million people all at once, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin suggested yesterday that Congress consider a smaller bill to keep the benefits in place while other details are negotiated. But Republicans and Democrats on the Hill roundly dismissed that idea immediately. The White House also agreed yesterday to scrap Trump's demand to include a payroll tax cut in the package after that provision was met with fierce resistance by conservatives. Senate Republicans say there will be no assistance for renters or to help those facing eviction and the proposal that they are crafting. Number three, the United States could see a 25% drop in international student enrollment in 2020. That specter has left U.S. institutions worried about a loss in revenue, alongside a more nebulous decline in their reputations. A drop in international enrollment in the fall could cost schools $3 billion. The greatest share of international students in the United States are from China and India, both countries that the Trump administration has targeted with strict immigration and visa restrictions. Meanwhile, Britain, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia have all gained an edge in the fight for the best and the brightest. Many people from the developing world now want to go there instead of here. Consider these two students who talked to my colleague Miriam Berger. 24-year-old Sarah Teneha, who is studying for her master's at the Harvard Kennedy School, has always seen the United States as the gold standard for education. But now she's concerned about contracting the coronavirus. She's also concerned about facing deportation. She's not worried about the rigor or her course load. Back home in India, after leaving Boston in March because of the contagion, she's deciding whether to defer her second year. She said, quote, it's just become a question of, do I trust the American government? I don't think they have the best interests of international students in their hearts. Then there's Aslam Akurt, who's 30, 
She lives in Turkey and is slated to begin at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business this fall. But after weeks of uncertainty, she too is likely to defer. She's been unable to procure a visa because of coronavirus-related U.S. embassy and consulate closures. In addition to the short-term barriers erected in response to the pandemic, she's watching the November presidential election closely as a barometer for how welcoming and inclusive America will be as she decides whether to plant roots here. As Oslem put it, quote, I feel like it's going to take the U.S. longer to get back to normal than the rest of the world, and I just don't want to be stuck there. Four years ago, quotes like that would have been unimaginable. It's one of so many ways that America's standing in the world has diminished. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, July 24th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe this weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you.